0: This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're continuing the story of Sinbad the Sailor, and we'll learn why you should not give piggyback rides to strange men you meet in the forest, and we'll meet the epically dangerous and dangerously epic Mountain of the Apes, which is a mountain with apes. The creature this time is the reason why you'll want to give people back rubs with hot peppers. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 71B, Snake Eyes. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore and mythology. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is brought to you by Detour. I want to tell you about a new app that's all about not looking at your phone, and instead, looking at the world. It's called Detour. They've got 150 immersive audio walks. From Radio Lab, Ken Burns, KQED, and more. It's like listening to a great podcast, but your host also guides you through some cool part of the world. Go to detour.com myths to take one for free. That's detour.com myths. Previously on the Myths and Legends podcast, Sinbad was formerly a sailor. But that was a long time ago. He lived that life, became super rich, and now just... Sits around talking about the dangerous adventures that made him super rich. Sinbad came across a porter who had the same name as him, so he gave the working man a lot of money to just sit around and listen to the stories of his personal adventures. They were talking about Adventure 2 out of 7, where Sinbad was once again shipwrecked and left in a desolate valley that stretched on for miles and miles. Oh, yeah, and that valley was filled with giant, hungry snakes. Sinbad swallowed hard. He looked at the approaching snakes. He was a rich human merchant. They were vicious, hungry reptiles. There wasn't any reason they all couldn't get along. The snakes thought otherwise, and gave chase. And Sinbad ran, and more and more snakes began streaming out of the rocks around him. And yeah, it was exactly like that clip from Planet Earth 2. I linked it in the show notes for the uninitiated. Sinbad, though hungry and tired, sprinted from the snakes until he came to a roadblock, like literally the rocky wall of the valley. In it, he saw a crack that was possibly too small for one of the oversized snakes to squeeze through. In the fading light of the day, he dove headlong into the small cave and found a rock inside to roll over the entryway. It ultimately didn't matter because it was too small for the snakes. Regardless, Sinbad closed the entryway to the cave, sealing himself in complete darkness. Huddling in a cold, dark cave was mildly terrifying, but Sinbad was safe. He made a small hole through which he could see the rising sun and tried to get some sleep. The next morning, Sinbad peeked from the people he had made. The sun beat down in the valley, which glittered. It was also abandoned, save for the shadows of the giant eagles flying above. Then, Sinbad remembered the stories he had heard on his travels. This was obviously no ordinary valley, what with valleys populated with giant snakes and patrolled by giant birds of prey being moderately rare. But this one was noteworthy, in that it was filled with diamonds. Wait, diamonds? The porter interrupted. So, all those glittering rocks as far as you could see were diamonds? Yep. Seriously, everything just works out for you, doesn't it? The porter said. Oh, you have no idea, said Sinbad the sailor, moving on with his story. Sinbad in the story kicked the rock away from the cave's opening, and ran out to the diamond-filled field. He began scooping diamonds into every pocket and fold of his clothing. He was so busy laughing and dancing, not really thinking about the fact that he was still starving, and trapped in a valley with hungry snakes, that it just barely missed him. The carcass of the cow slammed directly in front of him, flayed and mutilated, to the point that he could barely tell that it had been a cow. Sinbad cocked his head, and yeah, he had been carried to a valley filled with giant snakes, by a giant bird who subsequently fought a giant snake, but tenderized beef falling from the sky, strained even Sinbad's ability to take things in stride. That's when he heard the voices. They were nearly inaudible, far, far up on the edge of the valley. Sinbad saw the bloody workman, walk away from the edge, and disappear. Then... You remembered another thing. In the Valley of the Diamonds, there are people that fling cut-up animals over the edge with hopes that they'll land and some of the diamonds will stick in the animal's blood and flesh. They're hoping that a dead cow is even more appetizing than a living snake and that the birds will come and pick up the cow. They somehow managed to retrieve the diamonds because Sinbad knew that these men were supposedly wealthy. Regardless, Sinbad knew he had found his way out and began unwinding his turban. Sinbad thought the dead cow smelled bad on the outside, though that was really a pretty subjective thing, considering now its insides were essentially its outsides. Sinbad had spent the better part of an hour looping his turban around the cow and crawling underneath it, getting nice and close to that cow carcass, now quickly deteriorating in the blistering sun while laying on a sea of diamonds. you think that Sinbad would use this time where He was hugging the raw meat to think about some of his life choices, but he did not. He was just excited about how much richer he was going to be. Finally, he heard a bird screech from the sky, and he knew that it was coming for him. He braced himself, and it was about as bad as he thought. The bird landed hard on the cow, gripped its flesh, and flew off. On his second flight in as many days, Sibad realized he didn't really appreciate not clinging to decaying cow on his last flight. Oh well, life lessons. Sinbad wasn't in the air nearly as long this time, and the bird wasn't as big, though Sinbad had actually thought things through a bit. He loosened his strap in the air so that when they neared the edge of the valley, he could simply jump off his ride, lest he be crushed by the cow. Falling to the ground, he rolled and then ran to the trees. When he was safe, he looked back and saw the bird tearing apart the cow. It was big. I mean, big enough to fly basically unencumbered, carrying both a cow carcass and a human, but not block out the sun big. So when the men emerged from the forest with arrows and clubs, the thing flew off without putting up much of a fight. The men rushed to the carcass and turned it over, finding it nearly completely devoid of diamonds. They swore, just as Simbad strolled out from the tree line. Oh, "'Hi, guys,' Sinbad called out. "'May I stay for a walk as I always do around here "'because I'm local and very well-known?' "'Okay. "'Hi,' the men said, fanning out around Sinbad. "'You wouldn't happen to know anything "'about why our cow doesn't have any diamonds stuck to it, "'would you?' "'Oh, guys, I don't know if you know this, "'but dead cows don't usually have a lot of diamonds,' "'Sinbad laughed. "'Well, ours usually do,' the men said." Also, you're covered in blood and bits of cow. Like, way more than the standard amount of zero bits of cow. We'll ask again. Are you sure you don't know anything about the diamonds? I don't know what you're talking about, Sinbad said. But, on a completely unrelated note, if it's diamonds you want, I have pockets and pockets of diamonds for no particular reason. Want some? The men sighed. Yes. Yes, they would. Sinbad eventually fessed up saying that they probably didn't guess, but he usually didn't just walk around with pocketfuls of diamonds. They replied, yeah, we know. As Sinbad recounted his tale, their jaws dropped. They were astounded. He was the first man to go into that valley and live. So, they let him travel with them. On his return trip to Baghdad, Sinbad saw many wondrous sights. He saw cool trees, cattle, and this magnificent beast known as the rhinoceros. The rhinoceros was an animal that was massive and had a horn in the center of its head. It was also 20 feet long, kind of resembled a man and could spear and lift an elephant with its horn. After obtaining its elephant kebab, it walked around with the body, not noticing the weight until the elephant melted on the horn. The fat then streamed into the rhinoceros' eyes and the beast had to sit down. That's when the rock, the bird that blocked out the sun, would shoot down from the sky and catch the rhino, taking it back to the baby birds. The porter stroked his beard and marveled at this obviously completely true account of the rhinoceros. Wow, he was learning so much. So what happens next? Did the ship wreck on its way back to Baghdad? Did you see more weird and fantastic creatures? The porter asked. Oh, no, Zimed said. I made it back safely. "'Even richer, too, on account of all the diamonds I had in my bloody clothes. "'Anyway, here's your hundred gold pieces.' Simbad tossed a bag of gold to the porter "'and marveled at how the man could get by on so little. Uh, same time tomorrow?' the porter asked, "'as he felt the weight of the bag. "'He might never have to work again. "'Okay, so let me get this straight. "'You already had more money than someone could spend in their lifetime. "'You had fame, power, and prestige, Yet you still felt the need to go traveling? Sinbad the porter asked in disbelief. Well, yeah, Sinbad the sailor said. I mean, I don't think you understand how good I am at spending money. I mean, that's one way of putting it, the porter said. It sounds like you're just bad at basic financial planning. (laughs) Six of one, half dozen of the other. Anyway, I went on a third time, and it was not an excellent idea, because just two weeks out, the wind left us, and we were stranded At the Mountain of the Apes, Sinbad paused for effect. I said, the Mountain of the Apes, Sinbad repeated. Yeah, I heard you, said the porter. Well, do you know what it is, Sinbad the sailor said. Well, I'm not really a gambling man because, well, I'm shockingly poor, but if I had to guess, I would say it's a mountain. With apes on it, the porter replied. Yeah, but it's like a lot of apes, Sinbad defended. I would imagine, the porter replied, no one names a mountain for its apes if there are only like three or four apes. This one's even more dangerous, Simbad explained, because no one has ever been there and made it out alive. Well, okay, the porter pressed, um, we should really keep things moving, but how do you know it's the mountain of the apes if no one's ever been there and lived? Sinbad paused and thought about it. After probably too long, he agreed that they should just keep the story moving. The ship knew that it was a bad spot when it stopped, and it went from bad to being swarmed by angry apes, when, after drifting to the mountain of the apes, the ship was swarmed by angry apes. They apparently didn't seem to care about the people aboard, but just went to work stealing all their stuff. No one tried to stop them because, as I'll talk about in a second, chimps can be pretty intense. Also, and I'm taking this from the story, they didn't try to figure out what was going on because no one on the ship spoke ape. If you're not familiar with how strong and scary chimps can be, Google it and be horrified. Chimps are anywhere from two to five times stronger than your average human and have absolutely no aversion to tearing someone's face off. Yeah. Anyway, the apes just left the humans there. They cut all the ropes to the sails and the anchor, which made it virtually impossible to leave without doing some basic repair work that none of the sailors did for some reason. And then the apes left for the mountain of the apes. Seeing as no one had ever left the Mountain of the Apes alive, they decided to go in another direction. So the next morning, Sinbad, a few sailors, and their captain set off in search of something to help them. In the center of the island, far from the Mountain of the Apes, they found a manor. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably picked up on rule number two of myths and legends. Don't enter this scary looking house in the dark forest. For Sinbad... Maybe things have been working out for him for so long that he just assumed his streak would keep going. Or maybe he was a complete idiot. Who knows? Regardless, the crew went into the creepy-looking manor in the dark forest. Now, Sinbad is about to enter a very dark scene. Not for Sinbad. Things keep inexplicably working out for Sinbad. But his companions are about to have a very bad time. But not immediately. They saw a beautiful courtyard arrayed with all sorts of fruit trees, and thought that if they were in a stranger's house who was effectively the neighbor of the mountain of the apes, why not enjoy a snack? And a nap? And so they ate their fill and went to sleep. They awoke to the ground shaking, and Simbab was the first to scramble to his feet and make his way to the door, but found it shut tight. He didn't notice this when they walked in there wasn't a handle for the inside of the door, just the outside. Whatever lived here wasn't worried about things getting in. It was trying to keep things from getting out. Sinbad and the others quickly realized that they were in over their heads and pounded on the door. Then, they saw it. It was another terrifying chimeric creature lurching down into the courtyard. It was as tall as a palm tree, with eyes like torches, Fangs like a boar, camel lips that were so large that they hung down to the creature's chest, ears like two barges, and nails like lion's claws. The thing lumbered over to them, and, without asking permission to lift them bodily into the air and check their body fat percentage, it did just that. Sinbad was first. He felt the thing's grip like an iron vice as its other claws ran along Sinbad's body. Sinbad was happy he had done those two or three sit-ups between crazy parties back in Baghdad. The captain, the last person picked up by the monster, was not so lucky. He was deemed to be the tastiest of the bunch, and the creature went to work. Treating the captain like an animal for the slaughter, the monster broke his neck, and then impaled him to the shock and dismay of all the captain's former colleagues. In fact, they had to sit there for the rest of the night, while the creature cooked the captain on a spit and ate him, before laying down to a nap itself. Zimbabwe will resume being a completely terrible co-worker, but that will be right after this. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability, just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. wasn't until nearly dawn the next day that one of the men found that he could slip a tool through the crack in the door and with their applied force and a working knowledge of basic physics they were able to lift the bar on the other side and run off into the forest what happened next boggles the mind a bit they couldn't find their way back to the ship you know the phrase better the devil you know than the devil you don't well in this situation no just no I don't care how scary the forest is at nightfall, you don't go back to the manor owned by a lurching ogre with a taste for human. But they did. And, again, the door sealed behind them. And, again, the next tastiest one was taken and eaten. Great job, guys. The next day, they, again, escaped. But this time, they decided to not even try to find the boats. They were going to do something vastly more risky. They snuck back into the manor and pilfered the ogre's wood supply, using it to build a rickety raft to somehow use to brave the open ocean. That, however, would be after they went full odyssey and blinded the ogre after it was asleep, so it wouldn't notice that they were escaping the next morning. Maybe it would even throw some borders at them for literary bonus points. Okay, so maybe an obvious question, the porter chimed in, but why not just escape in daytime without, you know, needlessly sacrificing another crew member well I mean then it wouldn't be like the Odyssey right Sinbad said we would just be sailing away not sailing away being chased by a blind ogre maybe throwing boulders at the ship Sinbad noted so you're just gonna let a man die to prove you read a book the porter asked you obviously don't get literature Sinbad stated and returned to his story Anyway, that's exactly what happened, yet another man was eaten, and they used some hot iron pokers to blind the creature as it slept. They ran out in the night to the raft, sounds of the creature barreling after them at full speed, growing louder and louder. As they paddled, Sinbad squealed, yes, sailing away a blind ogre and boulders falling all around them. This was just what no one called an Odyssey hat trick. He was so excited to tell the story later to show how smart he was. Except that Sinbad miscalculated. The ogre was not the only ogre, he was married. Mrs. Ogre didn't make a hobby of skewering and eating strangers, but she was still pretty mad about these little guys, blinding her husband. She, with two eyes, was a much better shot with the boulders than her husband and Polyphemus from the Odyssey. Boulders rained down from the sky, and by the time Sinbad and his crew were out of range, it was just Sinbad and two other survivors, Everyone else had been killed in the escape. As the waves rocked them in the open ocean, Sinbad promised the other two that he would not push for any more costly literary references. But, hey, at least they'd have a cool story to tell their kids or some stranger someday. Well, Sinbad would have a cool story. The islands must have been part of an archipelago because they quickly skidded to a stop on yet another one. They considered waiting for the sun to rise, but finding the land abandoned, Stopped for the night. Sinbad heard something next to him and woke up. He looked over at one of his two companions who had survived and asked him, Hey, we're freezing over here. Where'd you get a sweet snakeskin sleeping bag? Also, why are you blue and puffy? Oh, oh, you're being eaten alive by a snake. Uh. Sinbad rolled over. Hey, other guy, we should probably run away really fast. This guy's being eaten by a giant snake. Oh my gosh, we should help him. The other guy said. Oh, you mean the parts of him that aren't partially digested by a giant serpent, Sinbad said. Yeah, they're not doing too well either. The pair did not end up helping the dead man, and ran away as fast as they could. Even though they guessed that the serpent might be sleeping off his big meal, nothing in this place followed any rules of normalcy, so they decided to stay safe and sleep in a tree that night. For some reason, the man who wasn't Sinbad, and who the story doesn't even give a name because he was so expendable, decided to sleep on a branch lower than Sinbad. Well, as you can probably guess, he was the next man to find himself in the probably too constricting snake sleeping bag. Sinbad watched the snake slowly eat the man, all while looking at Sinbad with eyes that said, yeah, soon, before slithering into the forest for a long nap. Sinbad, lost once again on the dangerous island, thought that this might finally be the end of him. But that's surprising. I don't think he's particularly brilliant, but like one out of five of his ideas are really smart. So, he actually devised a way to survive the night. He tied wood to his feet, sides, and front. Wide wood, wood that would be too big for a snake to swallow. And it worked. That night, the snake slithered out of the woods and unhinged its jaw to start the process of eating Simbad. But no matter how it tried, the man was too bulky. The snake just couldn't do it. But that didn't stop it from trying, and Sinbad spent an awkward and scary night lying on the ground with a giant serpent trying to wrap its mouth around him. Come morning, the snake gave up and slithered away in shame, never to be seen by Simbad again. Sinbad walked a little farther on the island and found a ship docked just off the coast. The crew took him to port, where he struck up conversations with various captains. Because thinking up a new ending to a story is difficult, Simbad, who apparently never remembered the name of his boat, ran into the man who had taken over after his captain was unceremoniously kebabbed. They repaired the ship and continued on, did that whole thing where they didn't believe it was Simbad, but then they did believe it was Simbad, and Sinbad returned to Baghdad with even more money, as well as some cool and definitely true stories. On his way back, he saw even more wondrous creatures, like a fish in the form of a cow and another creature in the form of a donkey. I'm not joking. That's actually in the text. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably just saw a cow and a donkey. The elder Sid gave the porter his daily 100 gold pieces, and then he had a question. It was totally no big deal, but they'd be starting early the next day, and, well, if the porter didn't want to leave... The porter sighed. Did Simbab want to have an old guy slumber party? Sinbad grinned and nodded. Oh my gosh, yes, he did. Did the porter want to stay? The porter said that staying in the rich man's house was infinitely better than returning to his own hut. Sure, he'd stay. Okay, awesome, Sinbad said. I have people that can act out any story we want. I can command them not to sleep. This is going to be so great. We're just going to brush past the reasons why I keep on going on these trips and putting myself in mortal danger for no reason other than to get more of something that I already have too much of and just jump right into the story. Cool? Sinbad asked. He had invited a larger audience to listen today. And they all nodded. Okay, awesome. Also, I'm just going to cut straight to being shipwrecked on an island because, well, that just seems to keep happening to me. Sinbad blinked as he awoke, and he felt the damp sand underneath his head. Good, he wasn't floating anymore, because it seems like the writer really just wanted to get to Sinbad being wrecked on an island this time. There weren't any apes or whale islands or anything weird. It was just a very strong wind that had hit the ship out of nowhere, blasting it to pieces and flinging all the sailors in every direction. Sinbad treaded water in the night for hours, and just as his head began to dip below the surface... A plank from the ship had drifted past. He climbed on top of it and promptly passed out, waking up where we found him. He looked over and saw about a dozen other sailors and merchants from the ship, all in the same situation. Simbad stood and immediately took control of the situation. He explained that he had already been shipwrecked way too many times, so he knew what to do in this scenario. First, they needed to start looking for weird horse breeders or giant bird- Oh, wait. Who are they? Simbad stopped as he watched a group of strangers crest a nearby hill. Are they a bunch of angry naked guys? They were, in fact, a bunch of angry naked guys. The crew of merchants asked what they should do, as the naked guys surrounded them and put spears to their throats. Simbad decided that, while he had never really encountered angry naked guys in his travels, so he couldn't say for sure, the spears to their throats were a pretty good indication that they should go with the angry naked guys. Everyone agreed. You know, I'm as down to eat food from creepy demonic strangers in their nefarious lairs as the next guy. But really, this is disgusting, Sinbad said to his hosts, the angry naked men. Sinbad couldn't decipher the language that this unknown group spoke. Their leader paced the room watching eagerly as all but Sinbad ate the foul-smelling hunk of meat in front of them. Somebody pointed out to the leader that Sinbad wasn't eating, and he shrugged it off, gesturing to the dozen other men who were eating. They had enough. Sinbad sat back and demanded something else. No one could understand his preferences, and even if they could, no one really cared about his fancy dietary needs of not eating gross, foul-smelling trash the other men all took one reluctant bite and then many more eager bites. They all cleaned their plates and then their eyes searched the room. Simbat was surprised that they were still hungry and was even more surprised when the angry naked men picked up whips and opened the door. They herded the men outside to a grassy pasture and seeing something remotely edible, the men dove down and started eating the grass anything to satisfy their intense hunger. That was when Sinbad remembered the stories he had heard. There was an island far away from Baghdad that was full of cannibals. Any visitor was given a drugged piece of food. That drug made it so that no matter how much the person ate, they would never be satisfied. That way, the cannibals could fatten people up without needing to force feed them. The people would eagerly prepare themselves for the slaughter, The Magians, as they were called, took the men out every day to graze in the fields. At night, they kept the men locked up in a pen. Sinbad, because he hadn't eaten the drug, was allowed to just hang around the Magians' town. Of course, he didn't touch any of their food. He knew where it came from, so he became emaciated, which meant that the cannibals really didn't care about him. Sinbad even managed to break the enclosure of his fellow soldiers and merchants, but they refused to do anything, other than gorge themselves on grass, until their stomachs were painfully swollen, and then they returned to captivity, to rest. Sinbad sighed. They were truly lost. Simbad, having nothing and no one, left them to their fate. Simbad was so rich, again. This time, he was a small business owner. After wandering for eight days and nights, away from the Magians, Sinbad had found some people, out gathering peppercorn. They, of course, had surrounded him and demanded to know who he was. He told these people his magnificent story, and they told others. Who told others? Who told the king? Assume, Sinbad was before their leader, sharing all about his adventures and rocketing up in social status in a way only Sinbad the sailor could do. He quickly became a friend of the king because, yeah, of course he did. He's Sinbad everything works out for him. I mean, he just wandered away from a bunch of dangerous cannibals. Well, when out riding with the king, Sinbad saw the man was uncomfortable on his horse, which he was riding bareback. Sinbad asked why the king didn't have a saddle. Uh, what? asked the king. Thus, Sinbad made saddles for these people, who all rode horses, and, once again, became obscenely rich and famous. Sinbad was so rich and famous, and such a good friend to the king, that the king gave him a wife from among the highborn noblewomen of the city. And yeah, for the sake of the story, let's just keep moving past the king being able to give women to people. Sinbad and his new wife were happy, though. And for once, Sinbad felt like stopping on his travels. He thought that he had finally found a place that he could call home. That is, until the funeral. The wife of one of Sinbad's friends had died, It was sad, and even though Sinbad really didn't know what to say to comfort a man who just lost the love of his life, he figured he was Sinbad, and he'd take a crack at it. Hey, bud, Sinbad began. She she was great, wasn't she? You know what else is great? Meeting other women, which is what you're going to do very soon, you very recent bachelor, you. The man sighed. Okay. I saw you over there trying to decide what to say. If you're ever in this situation again, I'll give you a hint. It's not that. Regardless, I will never love again. Sinbad (laughs) laughed. What do you mean? Just talk to the king. He's apparently handing out women left and right. Yeah, that's something that happens in our kingdom, I guess. But when would I have time? The widower said. I'm gonna die. Tomorrow. Whoa, hey, buddy, Sinbad said. If you want to talk, I'm... No, 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 it's, it's not like that, the widower said. I forgot, you're an outsider. It's a custom for us. If the spouse dies, then the other is sealed in a tomb with them. It's based on the notion that you'll never be apart in life or in death, which is sweet until your wife dies before you. Sinbad assumed that he was joking and walked away laughing. But Sinbad wasn't laughing when, the next day, they lowered the man's late wife into the tombs and then looped ropes around his friend's armpits and lowered him down, after his wife's coffin. After him, they lowered seven loaves of bread, and a jar of water. Simbad wasn't sure why, I mean, if they wanted him to die, why give him stuff to extend his life unnecessarily? But there was a more pressing issue for Sinbad. He went straight to the king. What if, Sinbad said, and this is a big dumb if, I feel like I already know it's not the case, but what if a certain foreigner didn't know about the custom, but, Happen to marry someone in your kingdom. Oh, well, we just kill you too, the king said matter-of-factly. Just like that, huh? No hesitation or anything? No, I mean, it's it's our custom. It applies to everyone, even me, said the king. You're not married, Sinbad observed. Yeah, and that's why. I'm not being lowered down to die in a tomb. No, thank you. It's best not to think about it, though. You're a young guy. Your wife is young. You two have years and years before you have to start worrying about that. Really, don't worry about it. As Sinbad walked away from the king, he thought about it. Everyone was going to die someday, and Sinbad was still young. He didn't have anything to worry about. When he got home, he hugged his wife. He was happy, and for now, he should enjoy his life with his young wife and his near-limitless riches that he always seemed to amass accidentally. But his wife shirked away from him and coughed and then sobbed. She wouldn't look at him, so Sinbad gently held her shoulder and turned her around. Her hand and mouth were covered. She was coughing up blood. Simbad. she said, I'm dying. Sinbad shook his head. Oh no, he told her he was so sorry. Wait, that meant, oh, uh-oh. That's it for this week. Next week we're finishing up the story of Sinbad, and we'll pick up just a few days from now, when Sinbad is being lowered down into the darkness of the tomb. The creature this week is the Abansum, from the folklore of West Africa. The Abansum loves crab meat. It's his favorite thing. He'll comb the beaches for hours, looking for crabs. And when he finds them, mm, he'll cook it to perfection and enjoys it in the way that only a true connoisseur can. When, however, he can't find crabs, well, he turns to his second favorite delicacy, the blood of small children. So, when he can't find his favorite food, he treats himself to some vampirism, mainly visiting children in the night, sucking blood, and infecting them with a wasting disease. The children slowly waste away, unless they visit a witch doctor for a special ward. The abonsum is creepy because, well, it could be anyone it's able to slip into human skin and look like one of us. If you, somehow, figure out the identity of the abonsum, you're advised to wait until night. The abonsum has to take its skin off to go hunting for crabs or young children, and while it's away, just rub red chili peppers on the inside of the skin. When the abonsam returns, it will feel the peppers all over its bare muscles and be unable to wear the skin again, so no more hiding in plain sight. If you want to ward off the abonsam, Methods range from burning special medicines in your house, to taking all your furniture out, beating every square inch of the inside of your house with sticks, and then firing guns inside your house to make loud noises. Personally, I would really hope the burning medicine works, and don't do that last option, please. Really, though, none of that is necessary, because I thought of one way to keep your child safe from the abonsum. Pet crabs. That way, when the vampire stops by to help itself to some blood, it will see its favorite food right there. And, just like that, there's no need to attack anyone. Just don't name the crabs or anything. They're not going to be sticking around. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band, Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. If you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate has what you're looking for. June's Loot Crate theme is Alter Ego and features stuff from Spider-Man, Transformers, The Hulk, and DC Comics. And one lucky subscriber will also win a Mega Crate of epic proportions. Be sure to subscribe by 9pm on the 19th to get this month's crate. And go to lootcrate.com legends and enter code LEGENDS to save $3 off any new subscription. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.